All right. Thank you. Am I good? All right. Thank you to be. It's good to be here with you. My name is Peter Moon. I am from Chicago. Uh, I've been. I was in Cambodia for five years uh, doing mission work. I came back last summer, and somehow God led us to this church. It's really great to be here. David, let me give you a tip. Uh, in Japan, um, on the day that it rains, they don't eat sushi. And so what do you do is you go to a grocery store, and the day it rains, they will cut all their made sushi at half price, okay? So just go and buy sushi during that time because it is great. I remember I was in the uh, grocery store. I saw this expensive platter of sashimi. I wanted to eat it, but it was really expensive. But then it started to drizzle, and an announcement went on and says, 50% off. I'm like, all right, let's go. <laughs> and so I went there. Japan is a great place. My sister lives there. Uh, we tried to visit as uh, much as we can, whenever we can. And so, uh, first of all, I want to thank uh, Pastor Michael and Pastor DC for giving me the opportunity to share the Word of God with you. Um, it is a great privilege to share the Word of God with you. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through uh, verse 15. Uh, I've been here since the uh, beginning of May, and uh, often I don't like to speak to people that I don't know. And uh, as I look around, I know some familiar faces, but many of you I don't know. And so uh, please, uh, please be nice to me, okay? And so Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and, accord and of one mind. Do nothing from self, selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on him, the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of crooked and twisted generation among whom you will shine as lights in the world. Amen. Uh, can we pray one more time? God, thank you for your word that your word is unchanging as you are unchanging. And we believe you are here with us. So we pray, Lord, that you will help us to um, invite ourselves into your presence, uh, that we may be with you, holy, our mind, our hearts, our body, that all that we are will be present with you as we receive from you a blessing, a learning, a correction, and teaching from you. God, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I do apologize for some of the Korean, uh, Asian, perhaps, uh, references, but some of you may look at me and say, huh, he looks kind of familiar. Or well, perhaps you think I'm familiar because you grew up watching uh, this guy. 
Okay? He is my child hero. Does anybody know who he is? It's like too old. Okay. And so I remember when I was in college, somebody came up to me and said, wow, you look like this guy. And I'm like, really? Really? Thank you so much. Okay? For some of you, do not see the resemblance. Okay, I understand. Okay? I was much younger back then. Okay? And then my wife thinks that I look like this guy, which I don't really appreciate. Uh, but I have to kind of go along with her, okay? And then someone, one of my a former students, uh, recently said, I look like this guy, um, even though I've never been on train to Busan. But in a recent occurrence, I guess I've been becoming more famous because uh, people recently, I heard that I look like this guy. And so... Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say, but at least I've globally recognized um, by that picture, okay? Recently, I cut my hair. I normally, I cut my own hair, and I made a mistake, so it got shorter and shorter and shorter. And so I was preaching on Wednesday at KM in Korean, and then one of the members told Pastor Tim, like, oh, he might, reminds me of Kim Jong-un. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> You're supposed to hear the word of God, <laughs> not think of the dictator. Um, well, today, I want to share with you with the title... Uh, of what it means to serve with humility. And then I want to kind of talk about a manual to worshiping uh, the servant king. We serve king who is a servant king, who is a humble king. And so even though I preached out of this passage many, many times, so one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, today I want to kind of uh, share the word of God with you with this kind of question. What do you give someone or what do you buy someone who already has everything? Right? Have you ever ran into that dilemma? Right? You have a friend who has everything. Or they're getting married and they have everything. What do you give to them? You know? They already have all the material things they need. They already have all the happiness that it seems that you could provide. What do you give to someone who already has everything? Our God is God who created all things. He made all things. He owns all things. He knows all things. He has power over all things. So then, what do we do in worship? What do we give to God who has all things already? And what I want to really propose to you is that today, that the way that we worship our God who has everything, and yet who became a servant for us, is to serve Him with humility. That is in which that we could participate and worship our God, our servant king. And so I kind of organized it in three, because I like number three. And so here we go. First is for us to see the invitation that God has given to us. Worship is not inviting God to our worship, but saying yes to God's invitation for His work. Worship is not inviting God to our worship, but saying yes to God's invitation to His work. God is already at work. So therefore, worship begins with our acknowledgement of what He has already done and identifying what He is doing right now. In Philippians chapter 2, 12, which we'll start here, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And here I want to focus on this word, therefore. 
as Paul says, therefore, what is he referring to? He's referring to the previous passage where it's so beautifully summarized what our, our Jesus Christ has done. In Philippians chapter 2, 6, I'm going to read it again. I know I read it, but every time I read it, it just soothes my soul. My youngest child, he loves it. When he was baby, in order for him to put him to sleep, I had to like just touch his head. Even now, you go like this, you go, oh. My second child, you have to sing him a song. But not only any song, but you have to sing him, Take me out to the ball game. Take me out. We're Cubs fans, okay? Whenever you sing them out, he'll just fall asleep. My oldest child, she has to pinch my skin. I don't know why. Something was wrong with her. You know, but she had to like pinch my skin in order to fall asleep. Something about reading this verse, it soothes my soul. It, it warms my heart. So let me read it again for you. Philippians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 6. Who, though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God of things to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking a form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has done his work through his son, Jesus Christ, in his obedience to the Father, in his submission and love for the Father's glory, that he came in the form of a servant, in a form of man, and in his obedience, he died even to the point of dying on the cross. And because of what Christ has done to honor his Father, the Father will lift Christ's name above, every, above all names. So that, that all creation, all nations, all tribe will bow and worship Jesus Christ for the glory of the Father. That is God's work. And so in light of that, Paul says, therefore, my beloved, therefore, God is already at work. Worship is not about inviting God into our space, but rather worship is saying yes to God's invitation to what He has already done in our lives. It's acknowledging that He is at work. Not only that, in the verse uh, following, uh, there's another ver uh, a part that I want to focus on this verse. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, when you look at this verse, sometimes you say, what does it mean for us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? First of all, the work out, it doesn't mean work up. It's not meaning that you work at it to earn your salvation, but now that the salvation has been given to you through what God has already done, that you work it out to experience and reveal the salvation in which, which God has given to you. I think of this. Actually, my aunt, uh, she does the calligraphy. And so when we're going to Cambodia, we stopped by in Korea, and she gave a, a, a Bible verse in calligraphy. But those Korean calligraphy, it's rolled in a scroll, right? Think of it in a scroll. Salvation, God, based on what He has done as we put our faith in Christ, has given us a scroll. But we need to unveil the scroll. We need to work it out 
to see what is within, to see the beauty of what is within. So it is not saying work out your salvation in a way that you work up yourself, that you may earn your salvation, but rather the salvation that God has given to you, work it out so that you may see. But it says with fear and trembling. It is not because if you fail that you will lose salvation. It is not because if you make mistake that God is going to come and punish you. But rather, what says in verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The reason why Paul here says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling is not because you need to be afraid of your mistakes, but rather because God himself is in your life working in you. So therefore, fear and tremble. God is in your midst. God is in your midst. So out of reverence, out of worship, out of respect that we fear and tremble. Not the kind of fear and tremble. It's like, oh, if I do this wrong, he's going to say something. I need to hide this. If I do this wrong, something wrong is going to happen in my life. Not that kind of insecurity, fear, and tremble, but rather, yes, Lord, you are in my life. Yes, Lord, you are working in my life. Worship begins with acknowledging the working of God in your life. God is working in your life right now. I believe that. Do you believe that? Amen? Really? Half of you? <laughs> right? God is working in your life. You know, just to kind of get to know who I am, let me tell you a little story. So our family went to Cambodia um, in the year 2012. I have a wife who is Faith Moon, which I'll talk about her later on. And then I have three kids, Grace, Isaiah, and Josiah, 13, 11, and 12. All the young family, make sure you have your kids in two years increment because it's easy to memorize their age, you know, 13, 11, and 12, and that you'll always be a good father, Okay. And so our family, we went to Cambodia, and then we were having a great time. I mean, we genuinely love Mission Field. I mean, it was not only fulfilling, but it was very enjoyable. We felt like with the skill set that we had uh, and the opportunity that we had, we felt like we were being very effective. We just loved every bit of it. Our kids right now, if you ask them, where do you want to go, they'll, without any hesitation, I want to go back to Cambodia. They love this environment where they come from school, take off your shoes, you run around everywhere, you come home black feet, you know, sweaty, everything. I mean, we just love it. We loved it. But in the midst of it, we felt the call uh, that God was calling us back uh, to states. And I will share perhaps, if opportunity given next time, of more detail why. So actually the church in America called us um, to be part of their ministry and so we kind of accept their call, and then we wrapped up everything really fast, and we came to America, hoping that we will move to uh, Northern California. And so we came to L.A. to visit our family. We went to Chicago to say goodbye to our family. And while we were in Chicago, the church that called us called back and said, oh, uh, we're really sorry, but uh, we decided to go with uh, someone else. We're like, what? <laughs> what just happened? I just uprooted my entire family from a situation that we were thriving and we were loving. And yet we come to this country called America, which we don't really like that much, you know. And then we're thinking like, oh, for the Lord's sake, we're going to sacrifice. 
And then we get this phone call out of nowhere that uh, things are not going to work out. And we're just abandoned in Chicago. Literally, we had a couple suitcases, three underwears, <laughs> three socks, because that's all they were planning to stay. And so I went through a week period of time. My wife, she couldn't talk to me because I was very sensitive. Right? Um, I was doubting myself as, a, was I a good father? Did I lead my family in the right way? Did I make this choice out of my pride, of my ambitions? What was I? I was like examining everything, right? And there were parts that I had to repent, but yet there were parts that I knew that I was being faithful to what God was calling us to do. And so what do we do, right? So after a week, I'm glad that it only lasted a week. After a week, as I was praying, God was re, uh, reminding me of the conviction that he gave. Why did I want to come back to America? And there are a couple convictions that we were carrying with as we're leaving Cambodia. We wanted to be people of blessing. We wanted to know what it means to bless others as we're doing in Cambodia. Uh, but yet we wanted to do that in America. And that we wanted to lead people into the life of blessing others. That it, I wanted to leave away from the life of just taking advantage of society. But rather I wanted to be witness of God in a way that I want to be blessing to others. And I wanted an opportunity through ministry where I could raise generation of people who are going to bless others. And in doing so, that I wanted to hopefully one day make changes in the way that we do mission field overseas in places like Cambodia. And so there were a couple of principles that God gave. And then I asked this question. What stops me from carrying out my conviction right now? Right? What stops me from carrying out my convictions right now? If this is which the God is working in my heart, what stops me from living this life right now? Yes, we didn't get to go to San Jose. Yes, we have no car. Yes, we have no home. Yes, we have no income. Yes, I don't know what I'm going to do to my kids. All these ifs, but what is really stopping me from living out God's calling? And I told my wife, there's nothing that is stopping us. From living out this calling we don't know what future holds we don't know where we'll go but let's live this life right now and so we were living with my sister-in-law in a four-bedroom house and we get a one room my three kids got one room and then their their kids are young they all share one room and so we're you know living in this house i enroll my kids to a neighborhood school uh, i apply for financial aid the government assistance to get insurance because in america insurance is so crazy and then uh, we begin to think about in what way that we could be blessing to the community that we're in. I woke up extra early to walk my kids to a bus stop, even though there was a couple blocks away, so that I could meet the neighbors and to say hello, strike a conversation to learn a little bit more about their lives. I started attending my daughter's volleyball game, memorize all the volleyball players, and cheer them by name so that their parents begin to think, who is this guy that's cheering for my daughter? And then begin to build relationship in which that we get to know their family and backgrounds and begin to share our lives of how we lived in Cambodia and why we're here. And doing so, we decided to get a job within the certain radius of the community. So we only apply for the school districts that my kids were in and to work as a substitute teacher. And I begin to take on a job for special education because it's a sub-job that nobody likes to do. But then through that, I get to know all the uh, uh, school, their edu special education a program, the principals and teachers. And somehow, in a mysterious way, God's province allowed me to be a long-term sub at a gifted program in the middle school that my daughter was attending because the teacher all of a sudden passed away of a breast cancer. 
And so that through that, I got to build relationship with students. I got to build relationship with parents. Actually, to a one point where parents were calling in the school and asking school if they could hire me for full time. I don't have teaching degree. My principal's like, I wish I could hire him, but he doesn't have teaching degree. My principal called me over and sat down and said, if you would like to work here in the future, let me know because we could assist you getting your teaching degree. And as we live for that, we, that year trying to be a blessing in the community, I tell you, we still had no car. We still had no home. We barely had income to get by. But we were so happy. We were so fulfilled. We were so blessed. Why? Because God is working. Instead of me trying to put condition into God and to say, I want this to happen, this has to happen, this has to fit in in order for me to serve you, we decided to say, God, where is it that you want to work? Because that's where we want to be. And I believe you are working everywhere. So therefore, help me to see where you're working. And it is in that that we were able to begin to see the way that God worked. I know I've shared this story many times, but one of the stories that I was sharing was uh, in middle school. It's hard to be a middle schooler these days. I'm teaching gifted class. These are smartest kids. That's why I, I gather around and I do dumbest things with them, you know, and, and they love it. And then uh, there was a one student who missed week and a, a month and a half of school uh, because of uh, suicidal thought, and he had to get treatment and counseling. And he came back, and I wanted to just do something for him where I could bless him. But I can't talk about Jesus at school. And so um, I taught them how to play a game called Werewolf. Do you guys know what Werewolf is? It's like Mafia, Avalon, and they love it. And so I told them, hey, what about during lunchtime, you and your couple of friends come to my classroom, and we could play Werewolf together. And so a bunch of guys, nerdy guys, came, and we'll play Werewolf, and they'll have so much fun. And I'm like, guys, it's no fun if you're just a bunch of guys. Why don't you guys bring some of your uh, girlfriends, right? And they're like, well, we don't know how to do it, right? <laughs> uh, but then another girl in my class, and she said, hey, we could bring our friends. And so she brought an entire table full of her friends and then slowly started as a little gathering, trying to create a small space in which this particular student could feel welcome. He could feel connected with other students. Became this secret society of werewolves. Friday nights, uh, Friday lunchtime, and Monday lunchtime. It was a secret society of students coming, sneaking into my classroom with their lunches, and we will do. And as I was leaving campus, tell them to say that I'm moving to California. And then as they were hugging me in tears and beginning to see the brokenness and the hardship that we're going through in life, and I say, God, thank you so much for this opportunity. I've learned so much in that year, right? And then I learned this seminary. It was just amazing. But I want to really propose to you, that's what worship is. Worship is not inviting God to some space that we have and say, God, please be here and be here only. But rather, saying yes to the invitation that God has given to us for the work that He is doing in our lives. He is working, people. I know we're going through a lot of difficulties in this country, but yet in the midst of it, God 
is working. There's never a moment where God is not working. So I want to really challenge you. Open your eyes. Begin to pray. Say, God, where are you working? Because I want to be part of it. I want to say yes to your invitation. Number two, not only the invitation, but imitation. How do we participate in God's work? Well, second point is this. Worship is not innovation of programs, but it's imitation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship is not innovation of programs, but it's imitation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. Who are you following after? I know there are lots of young adults, perhaps young family, maybe some older people here too. But I want to ask you, what are you following after in your life? Are you following some uh, educational blueprint that's been put out for you? Are, are you following professional trajectory for success? Are you following your parents' footstep or their expectation? Are you following culture's expectation or lack thereof? Or are you following some image that you conjured up for yourself based on how you, what you feel that is acceptable in society? What are you following in your life? And what are you following to worship God? How about ANCC, your church? What are you following? Are you following some sort of church model or theological trend or style of worship, a level of convenience, or some sort of power or leverage in the society? Or are you following some sort of relevance or coolness, which I think is becoming one of a new idol for our generation? What are you following? Because worship is not innovation of some new ideas or program, programs, but rather, it's the imitation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me have our attention to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, the key word that I would like to emphasize here is the word any. If you've been touched by God, touched by Jesus Christ in any way, then these are your responsibilities. These are your call. This is what God is asking you to respond. In verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having same love, being full accord and one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant others. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What is the response to God's ministry, God's working in our lives? It's the response in the unity. It's a uni un response in the way we serve one another. But question is, how are we going to do that? How are we going to be unified? How are we going to serve one another and consider other people's needs greater than mine? It is by imitating our Lord Jesus Christ. In more specific, imitating His humility. And as I read before, in verse 6 to 11, then Paul begins to write this wonderful hymn, wonderful song to talk about what Christ has done for us. What is worship? Worship is imitating our Lord Jesus Christ, imitating His humility. Uh, let me just kind of pause here and talk about humility a little bit in a very short way. What is humility? Humility and uh, humiliation has the same root word, humilitas. Uh, but they are similar but yet very different. 
Uh, humility was once known as actually very not an attractive trait to have in life. Actually, in the ancient word, to relate yourself with the characteristic of humility, that was bad, right? People thought, actually, they stole, they did bad things because they had a very low view of themselves, because they were too humble. It was actually good to be proud, okay? It was respectable to be proud, but it is Christianity that changed the perception of humility and definition of the word humility. Now, even in a secular sense, to have a trait of a humility is good. Good leaders have humility. But humility is not being a dormant for others. Humility is not saying, I am nothing. There's nothing I can do. Humility is not always backing up. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not that kind of Asian cultural, uh, cultural thing. So here, I want to uh, define humility for you, and it comes from an uh, Australian historian scholar named John Dixon. Humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resource, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. And a very simple way to put it is humility is humble person is marked by willingness to hold power in service of others what is humility using all of your influence all of your position all of your resource for the sake of serving others because that's what jesus christ did for us he was god but yet he humbled himself for the sake of our good our salvation for our sin for the glory of the Father, so that His name will be remembered and become famous. Humility is holding your position. So humility is not trying to hold the lowest position possible. No. Humility is work at it. Do whatever influence, whatever position that you could have, whether it's in church or society, whatever it is, that you want to use it to serve others. I remember um, I ran into a young adult uh, in an English church kind of congregation like this, and then, uh, which is very common, where he was a very influential person in the body. And then, but he said, you know what? I don't want to be a deacon. You know, I don't want the title. You know, I don't want to be a deacon. It's like, I don't want the responsibility. And then pretty much the, based on the talk that we had, I was kind of calling him out that actually that's pride, not humility. In that the you have the opportunity to serve your church body, not only in terms of act of service, but with authority and with a position in which that your church could be greatly blessed. But because of your preference, but because of some sort of like what people will think of you, or because you want to be more flexible and you don't want to be tied down to the responsibility, that when you say no, I didn't think that was humility. I think that was actually more uh, pride. Humility is using whatever we have and all that we can have for the service of others. What is worship? It is not creating more programs or more work, but rather it is imitating Christ in such a way that we set our lives in everything that we do, not just in particular corner or compartment of our lives, but in everything that we do for the sake of serving others to be a blessing to them.
Okay, it's my first time speaking. I can't go too long, okay? So here we go. Third, illumination. Worship is not imposing one's culture and preference, but illuminating God's glory. Worshiping is not imposing one's culture and preference, but illuminating God's glory. In verse 2, 14, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Verse 15, that's the day you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as light in the world. Now in verse 14, it's very easy to think that the emphasis here is grumbling or disputing. But you have to pay a closer attention. The emphasis of what Paul is saying is do all things. Do all things. What is this all thing that Paul talking about here? Well, the thing of what he talked about in the previous verse, what it means to be like-minded, one in purpose, one in spirit, and to serve others with humility where you're not thinking about your own needs, but needs of others as you follow in the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ in his humility. Do all things. And when we do them, we illuminate God's glory like light shining in this crooked and uh, depraved generation. Now, so if do all things without grumbling or disputing, then what Paul is saying is that I want you to do all things. And let's consider that I want you to be humble. I want you to serve others. I want you to hold power in service for others. Do all things. But what ruins that humility is Grumbling and disputing. What ruins that unity is grumbling and disputing. The world that, that Paul describes here is a word that is crooked and twisted world. In many ways, the world is not bluntly evil as we think. Or we are so conditioned by the world that even when we see a bluntly evil thing, we're kind of okay with it, right? It's just nature of it. Um, you know, I, I, sorry not to offend you, but it was, it was very interesting uh, when you live in a country like Cambodia. Cambodia, daytime, markets. As soon as 8 o'clock hits, it doesn't matter. You, you don't have to go to a red light district, okay? Just anywhere in your neighborhood turns into almost like a red light district you will see this blue or red plastic chairs being pulled out and then restaurants being turning into what's called a beer garden where you see uh, ladies sitting there and the customers walk in uh, picking girls to pour beers, which will eventually lead into a prostitution. Uh, you'll see a lot of these things that are happening like right before your eyes. So in the beginning, we tried to like, oh, let's, take, let's not take this street. We'll go around. Let's not take this. Oh, no, we don't want our kids to see this. But after a while, like, there's no way you could avoid it. It's just right there. It's right there. And it breaks your heart because many of these girls are from Providence who made a fake ID to work in the factory. So they're like 14, 15, they, you know, uh, uh, um, 14, 15, faking as 16, 17, 18 to work in a factory. But then instead of working in a factory, now they are in prostitution uh, where they're selling their body. And you know where these places are because... Uh, you see wherever there are this, these kind of uh, red light district, you will see a salon that opens at 7 p.m. and closes at 3 a.m. You will see a, a food shop that opens at 5 p.m. and closes at 3 a.m. So 
So we all look around and we pray for them. But here's I, I got to say this with a little bit of care, okay? But we look at them and we know right away because the way they dress, right? The way they dress, the, the exposure of themselves, especially in the, the conservative culture that Cambodia is in. So we lived there for a couple of years and we come back to America. We're like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, it's like the average high school student, right, dress much more, you know, than uh, prostitution that goes on in Cambodia, right? And then, but yet, we get normalized. This becomes norm. It becomes acceptable. This is okay. It becomes convenient. It becomes fashion. But for us who are going back and forth, it throws into confusion. What is this world? What are we really living in here? We're living in a very crooked and a twisted world where it's twisting everything. And often it twists the way that we worship. It twists the way we do church. So therefore, how do we combat that? How do we fight that? Is humility. It's following the humility that Christ has set before us. It is acknowledging the work that God has already done, and it is acknowledging the work that God is doing now, and therefore in humility, we participate in that work, even if that work doesn't look so sexy in the, in the eyes of the world, even if that work doesn't seem like it's going to bring in some form of outcome that we expect as a church. But because God is working, we participate in that work. And in humility, when we are able to do that, that in this crooked and twisted world, we'll be able to shine like stars. We'll be able to illuminate God's glory, not our preferences, not our culture, not our standard. Let me kind of close with a, a story uh, for you. Um, I was young. I, I became Christian when I was 12, uh, 13. No, I was 13. I came here. I came to America when I was 12, and then I turned 13 right away, and that's somewhere I accepted Christ. And then so, you know, as someone who just moved to America, learning English, a church was kind of difficult for me. I wanted to learn more about Jesus, but every time I went to church, it was all in English, so it was very difficult to understand. But slowly as I grew in my ability to speak English and understand a little bit more, my faith began to grow. And so I remember, uh, I think it was my sophomore year going to junior year, summer retreat. I remember praying, God, use me. God, use me. And I just really wanted to, like, not only grow, but I wanted to serve God. God, use me. And so as I was praying the prayer, this image that came to my mind, because I, I remember a long time ago, like, when I was, like, ninth grade or eighth grade, I was at some sort of revival meeting. You know, preacher was talking. I didn't understand everything. But one of the examples that he gave was that he knew a student who was handicapped and who was a student because of the handicap. He didn't get, really get along with, you know, the other youth group members. But when he became Christian and when he wanted to love God, he wanted to serve his youth group so much that he thought about what can I do to serve his youth group. And his idea was to come to church early, set up chairs, and pray for every chair. I don't know why, but that, that year, as I was saying, God, use me, that came into my mind. It's like, God... I want to set up chairs for you. That was my prayer. God, I want to 
want to set up chairs for you. 하나님 의자 어떻게 어떻게 할 거예요? You know, I forgot what I said in Korean, right? And so I wanted to set up chairs. So after the retreat, I came. Whenever I could, I went to church early on Sunday. I went to church early on Friday night. And we used to have those foldable chairs. I would fold them, unfold it, put it down. And then I'll pray, God, whoever is sitting in this place, bless that person. And I begin to unfold each chair at a time. No one was there. There were times when people came in and said, Oh, who set up the chairs? Part of me wanted to say, Oh, that was me. That was me. Did you see my, you know? No, what? But I, I said, No, no, no. You got to stay humble. <laughs> right? And then so it grew. And that was such a learning experience for me. But things got kind of twisted. People began to know my willingness to serve. And so the worship team asked me to be part of worship team. I don't know how to play guitar. I don't know how to play any instrument. So they put me on a transparency machine. Do you guys know what those are? Transparency machine. But the thing is that I turned out to be the worst transparency person in our church history. Because they will put a song, and I get so blessed, I close my eyes, and worship leaders like, next song, next song. I'm like, no idea. I'm like, oh, you know. And so they, they will stop there, like, da, 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 next song. Or sometimes worship leader will say, you know, oh, creating me a clean heart. Do you know how many different creating me a clean heart there are? I'll put on a wrong transparency, and they're singing a wrong song. And, you know, I was doing all these mistakes, but I liked it. I liked the fact that I could serve God in a different way. My senior year, they made me a drummer. And uh, I don't know what I was doing. There was this one song we're playing. It's supposed to be a soft, a slow song. And then I play so fast, entire congregation start clapping like this. <laughs> you know? And I was so embarrassed. But the fact that I got to serve, that I was thankful. But as I got to serve, and slowly expectation was put on me, and slowly the capacity of my serving got larger and larger. And slowly in my heart I begin to see that it is through serving that I could earn recognition and become popularity in church. That in slowly, somehow, serving wasn't about holding power to serve others over my selfish interests, but in a very crooked and a twisted way, serving became means for to uh, fulfill my expectation of people, fulfill my goals, my visions, my longings. It was a way for me to boast about who I am, what I wanted to do, the influence that I could have in the church. And somewhere along the way, it's so easy to be twisted and to be crooked. But time after time, through the gospel, through example of Jesus Christ, God reminds me that is not worship. But worship is to look to Christ who has already done the work and look to God the Father who is working in you right now and to trust in His goodness, trust in His sovereignty that out of that, I could genuinely seek other people's need and love them and serve them. And I believe that is worship. And I believe when we do that, the world will see the glory 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me shamelessly put in a plug here for you, okay? Do you see that sheet over here? Uh, yes, this is my wife, okay? <laughs> she made it, and I was so proud of her, okay? And then uh, uh, please look through it, and if there's any way that you could volunteer, whether it's for K-1 or 2-3 or any department, especially if you're a parent. And uh, as a coming in as an education pastor to this church, I am so thankful the way that God has, um, you know, used this church and God is using this church. But one thing I'm sure of it is in order to raise a generation of servants, who will serve and worship our servant king, we have to serve our servant king through serving with humility. There are certain things in life you can't teach without doing it for them, right? Like you can't learn how to pray without praying, right? You can't learn how to serve without seeing someone serve. And especially for parents, I want to really encourage you we're going to do much as we can. That's why you will see a slots like serving for a month, serving for a year, serving for three months, six months, to be flexible and so forth. The reason I did that is it's very easy for as a parent to drop off our child and have somebody else volunteer and serve them. But I want to really propose to you one of the another way, great way to serve your, raise your child is to be with your child and allow the child to see you serve. And serve together with your child. We need generation of servants who will worship God through humility. And I want to invite all of you, as God has invited me, that I want to invite all of you. Let's worship Him through our service. Let's pray together. One of the passages that we read, it says, Our God is working in us for His good pleasure. When we worship God this way, when we worship God, not just in the compartmentalized walls of church, in the space, but rather through the life that we live with humility, imitating Christ into this crooked and depraved generation. When we follow God's will wherever we are, and when we say yes to the invitation, pleases him it is his pleasure to his see his children imitate his son jesus christ but not only that it's pleasure because that's how he wants to bless you he wants you to know the joy of what it's like to be united with christ that in chapter later paul will say i want to know christ so much that even to the point of death, I want to know Christ. I want to experience what Christ experienced. I want to do what Christ did. Because that is my blessing. That is my joy. Oh, children of God, may you experience the joy of worshiping our Heavenly Father as you commit your life to become a humble servant who will serve our humble King. So can you pray for a moment? Uh, and then the worship team will lead us into song of response.